you know, the kids have seen as we've grown Seasider from, you know, its infancy is that you have an opportunity, almost an obligation, I think, to, to think beyond just the profit motive when you're, when you're running a business. I'm Franz. I'm Remy. I'm AJ. And you're listening to In the Weeds Podcast Season 2. We love hearing good stories, and lucky for us, few people have better stories than those in food and beverage. From our very own backyard to across the country, we are excited to share stories from the people we meet. The official beer of choice for In the Weeds is made by our good friends at Riot Brewing Company. Life's a riot. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming a Patreon of our show. For the price of a... Starbucks sous vide boiled egg. Each month you can help support the show so we can continue to share great stories with our fans. Learn more at www.patreon.com forward slash in the weeds podcast. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email podcastitw at gmail.com or on Instagram at in underscore the underscore weeds underscore podcast. Without further delay, let's get into the show. My name is Kristen Needham, and I'm the owner and general manager at Seasider Farm and Cider House, and you are listening to In the Weeds Podcast with Franz, Remy, and AJ. Remy, you've earned your keep once again. (laughs) I can see why it takes three people to run a podcast (laughs) now. (laughs) Well, you should have seen this before we added Remy, because we only added Remy in about October. October, I think, or something like that, around there. Um, and before that, it was just me and Andrew. So you could only imagine how much uh, ridiculousness was going on before Remy. You just have to blame each other, but now you have a third person to blame. Jewel That's in it. our crown. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah, when when the third person isn't present, he just takes all the blame. You need you yeah, always need a scapegoat. Yeah. Completely, yeah. Just being rid- driven over by the bus. Nonstop. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your time today. We are talking to Chris Needham. Uh, you are—is that correct pronunciation? Needham. Yeah, Needham. Yeah. Needham. Thank you. Uh, and you are the founder and GM and basically the multi-hat wearer of Seasider. That, Welcome to our little podcast. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm sure most people in our listening audience have either experienced Seasider at one point or another or have at the very least heard of you guys. Um, you're one of my favorite cideries by far. Uh, can you please let us know a little bit about yourself and how you got to the point where you are today? As far back as you want to go, just a little little taste of, of where you came from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And the journey did start a long, long time ago. Um, I I won't take you through all the highs and lows, but a few of the highlights over the year. Um, I think to start out with, there were a few sort of important catalysts over the years that really kind of finally came together, not quite 20 years ago. But one of the things that I, you know, was um, faced with as a teenager was my father dying and I inherited an apple orchard. So my brother and I had this orchard. It was on the shores of Shuswap Lake and it was a beautiful property. It was about 30 acres and 
my dad had bought it in the 70s as an investment because it was beautiful lakefront, not because there was an apple orchard on it. When he passed away and my brother and I inherited it, we kind of looked at each other and thought, well, I'm not going to manage this orchard. You can do that. And he's like, I'm not going to manage this orchard. And so we just let it sort of sit and go fallow for about two decades. And if you've ever been to Shoe Swap, you know that, you know, it's really forested and it's kind of North Okanagan. So it's a little cooler than Kelowna or Penticton. And there's lots of bears around. And so the bears basically and the deer, you know, managed the orchard for us for for those <laughs> years where, you know, the bears would come in around harvest time and they'd eat all the apples and they'd pull down the branches. And so we ended up, you know, with this sort of scraggly looking orchard that had all these limbs kind of torn off the trees and trees growing in funny directions because of what the wildlife were doing to it. And of course, all these smaller trees like alder and birch were were coming up in between the orchard rows. So it was a bit of a dog's breakfast when I guess about 20 years ago, my um, former husband and I, Bruce, were we're thinking about a change of career and we were at shoe swap enjoying, you know, a summer vacation. And we were talking about the orchard and thinking, you know, maybe we could actually turn this into a business. And you really had to have a vision for this because it really didn't look like an obvious business, an obvious good business idea, let's say. <laughs> and so we spent the next couple of years researching, you know, putting a business plan together, like right away, we knew that if we were going to turn the orchard into a business, it was going to be about cider. We like cider more than pie. We like cider more than, you know, apple juice. And so we, we did our homework. um, And, and along the way realized that it wasn't going to really work to have our cidery based on the shoe swap. We were both living in Victoria. We both had jobs in Victoria. So we were thinking about, okay, how do we make this happen in Victoria, but still use the apples from the Birch Cove property is, is, is what we call it. And so to make a long story short, uh, my brother, who's who lives in Toronto, he he agreed to support us um, in this venture by basically buying my share of that farm so that I could afford to buy a farmland to grow an orchard just outside of Victoria. And so we accomplished all of that in 2004. So wow. when you ask kind of how it all got started, I would say, you know, if if we hadn't have had that orchard on shoe swap, this never would have happened. We, there never would have been a seasider on the Saanich Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think other things that were important were the fact that I come from a family of farmers and ranchers. And, and so when I started to talk about this idea of growing cider apples and making cider, they were 
you know, they were understanding and, and willing to kind of help out in everything from like figuring out the irrigation system that we were going to need for our new orchard to putting in drainage when we realized that we had, you know, some sections of the orchard were, were too waterlogged, you know, giving me advice on what tractors to buy and all that kind of thing. So <laughs> thankfully, I had a really supportive family. Not not so much a supportive accountant, because he's like, you realize, Kristen, that the only time you ever make money farming is when you sell the farm. But <laughs> you feel like, you know, we're, we're not really, obviously, a traditional farm. We're very much a value-added farm in the sense that we grow a lot of the apples that we use to make our cider. Um and of course, we're doing all of the processing on the farm. So, you know, and and right from the get go, I think we we were just really, really fortunate fortunate to find a property on the peninsula that could be a destination where people would actually enjoy coming to to have cider. So, the, those those things, you know, so that's that all sort of we've sort of formally said, okay, we're going for this in 2002, right when the year my son was born, and which was a really good idea. I would highly recommend starting a business when you have a newborn. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it was a it was a cakewalk, yes. wasn't it? It was easy peasy. <laughs> good plan. Yeah. So, but for that, you know, my kids now are, my daughter's um, just turning 21 and Thomas is 18 and, and Right from the beginning, it was the idea of Seasider was to have a family-owned farm-based business that we could grow as our family grew. That would be kind of a legacy business that, if they wanted to, when they grew up, that you know that they could take over. And you know, I think that as a parent, one of my my worries was always they see how hard it is it you know it's 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 hard work when you're when you're owning a business running a business worrying about payroll worrying about cash flow worrying about equipment breaking down and but they're still um they're still believers they're still cider believers and um Evelyn's uh, she graduated from high school a few years ago but she's back now working at Sea Cider and Thomas is been in and out working at Seasider. So I feel really also kind of quite blessed that I have, you know, the kids working with me and, and that we've survived this long and we've survived, you know, since, since the pandemic started. So. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I was going to ask actually, if they had any uh, ambition to, to help out or be a part of all that, but it totally sounds like you've, uh, you've got two lovely kids there who are, are interested in uh, maybe carrying on the torch or. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't, I don't know what sort of the future holds for them, and I still, you know, believe that they need to see the world and experience it and pursue their own passions. There's always going to be a role for them to play at Seasider, and so we'll, we'll, we'll see where things go. But yeah, so far so good. I think that you know, having having hardworking or having a hardworking parent as a role model is is important and. To be able to have that, you know, that hard work, like that hardworking parent role model could have been 
putting time into a law firm or putting time into some <laughs> finance career that there's no like there's no tangible output other than nicer clothes every year or a better car. But it feels <laughs> like when you're putting like all that effort, it's going into the ground and things are growing and there's people with smiles on their faces that maybe seems a little bit more valuable. And yeah. like the, the other side of that equation seems a little bit more balanced rather than just, yeah, mom works, you know, 80 hours a week <laughs> and that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> Which absolutely. Sure <laughs> yeah. Like I, th I think there's, I'm a big believer in, you know, value-based businesses and we're not just making widgets. Uh, you know, we, we, we believe that, that it's important that we're, we're guided in our decision-making by certain values, you know? So for example, we want to make sure that we're, we're an asset to the community and that we're supporting our community in different ways. And um, that's why we've made the decision to, for example, with one of the cider series that we produce, the Canadian Invasion Series, we're supporting efforts to raise awareness about invasive species and the problem that they are for um, natural areas around the island, farms as well. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot more you can do with a business than simply make a profit. And, you know, I hope that one of the things that, you know, the kids have seen as we've grown Seasider from, you know, its infancy is that you have an opportunity, almost an obligation, I think, to, to think beyond just the profit motive when you're, when you're running a business. And when we, we talk about how we grow and we talk about what we do in the business, you know, those, the, some of the core values that we have, you know, I would say would be community wellness focus, you know, making sure that our environmental footprint is positive. Um, it's why we're a certified organic farm and we make mostly certified organic cider. Um, you know, we've, we feel strongly that it's important to provide a safe and fulfilling work environment for staff. And, you know, that leads to important decisions that my managers and I make around, you know, HR management and, and making sure that, you know, the first thing, the first thing that comes up every morning at the morning huddle is um, health and safety concerns. So you can talk about values as a business, but how do you put them into practice? And, mm -hmm. you know, those are just a couple of ours that, so yeah, I get, you know, with respect to what you're teaching and passing on to kids, maybe in the end, it's not, maybe it's not a business that they want to carry on with, but I think the value of working hard and, and showing the importance of being engaged in the community and, you know, looking out for your neighbors kind of thing is, is also really important. Prior to this conversation, I looked at some of your, uh, your social media and some of the other things that you've been involved in. On this same vein, I was wondering, what's, what's, what are some of the projects that you've done over the years that are either the most exciting to you or some of the most fulfilling projects that you've worked on? Because you guys, as you said, you guys are very involved in a lot of different uh, 
different avenues. Uh, you're not you're not just out making cider, so. Yeah, so you know a few things that I feel really strongly about, um, and that we've been able to sort of support through Sea Cider, uh, for example, just providing more opportunities for women in the food and beverage industry to advance their careers, to find opportunities, you know, at the executive chef level and food and beverage director level and ownership level or what have you. As you as you probably know that women have been historically kind of underrepresented in those higher positions of power. Absolutely. And so I've I've been a part of an organization called Les Dames de Scoffier International and we've got a BC chapter here and for example, like every year we put on a fundraiser called Summerdine and it's intended to raise money for scholarships and those scholarships go to well-deserving women who are looking to advance their training and advance their careers. And, you know, it, it's making a real world difference. And, you know, now more than ever, when our industry has been hit so hard by the pandemic. People need training. They need, you know, different options to move forward. So, so that's an example of something that we've, we've, so we've hosted Summerdine the last several years. And unfortunately in 2020, we weren't able to uh, host a long table dinner with everybody. But I think what we'll do this year is, um, still reach out to all of the people who've attended in the past and just kind of let them know that, you know, we're still, still around. The organization is still funding scholarships. Um, we're hoping as an organization to provide about $50,000 worth of scholarships to, to women this year. So there's still right. a lot of good being done, even if we can't eat together this year. So <laughs> That's uh, really disappointing that you aren't able to uh, execute that <clears throat> that event. I mean, I understand why. It's I know it's not a, it's not a choice that you're making, <laughs> but you know, to be able to have that kind of icing on the cake after a year's hard work and to celebrate together, I think that's what a lot of people are missing. Yeah, uh, and I, I have to tell yeah. you, I don't know when the last time any of you have been to the farm. Embarrassingly, Andrew's wedding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I was going to say, um... I was there, I was there very recently because we had our 10th year anniversary, um, this September, uh, and we went back and, and had a nice experience at Seaside and took some photos in the orchard. Uh, awesome. I, I hope you got a free glass of cider because that's the deal. You know, if you have an anniversary. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I didn't, I didn't know that. I'll pass that on to Vanessa. <laughs> um, so I, the reason I'm, I ask is because last year, almost to the day, we finished building a new building called the Pavilion, which was is intended to basically expand our service space. Also, it gives us some more production space for storage, but primarily it was because we were starting to burst at the seams. Um, we get a lot of visitors to the farm. And so it took, it's, it was a five-year project in the making. And it was like literally the ink was drying on the permit 
to uh, to move in, and and then the shutdown came along, and so this big beautiful new building sat empty for a little while. <laughs> but in the end, it's been a real godsend because one of the craziest things that I never would have expected in the during the 2020 was just the number of local visitors that we would have coming out to the farm. And I think people were looking for, you know, a safe experience outside. And one thing we we do have is a lot of space at the farm. And so we ended up being able to use that, that building. And so maybe not for what we had originally intended. You know, we thought we were going to be able to host a lot of bigger dinners and things like Summer Dine, that big fundraiser. But in the end, what we saw were just locals coming in um, to have just, you know, reserving small tables and and just a chance to, uh, you know, forget about, you know, the crazy craziness of, you know, the pandemic and whatnot and just enjoy an afternoon on the farm. So, so in the end, it sort of worked out, but we, it was pretty touch and go there for a while. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you've heard a lot about, how other businesses have coped over the last year, but, and, and we were no different. We, you know, that the spring shutdown was pretty harsh and we had to really kind of dig deep to figure out what we were going to do. And by we, um, you know, I, uh, I've got a very, very capable management team, um, an operations manager, a financial controller and a service manager. And the four of us, you know, did a lot of brainstorming and kudos to them for how they responded to the crisis because it really was a crisis and how we all kind of came together to say, you know, we can get over this, we can do this. And, And in the end, also thanks to really a dedicated team of, you know, sales staff, marketing, the cider makers, you know, we came through and this, this past year with some, some, some kind of new and exciting projects going forward. So you were asking earlier about, you know, what were some of the more interesting things over time? And I wanted to mention that, we, of course, we've been making fermenting cider now for quite a number of years, and that's that's been our bread and butter. But um, we started to produce a line of non-alcoholic juices, and that's just really taken off. I think if if the pandemic hadn't hit us, we never would have done it. And thanks to that pandemic, we're now you know. Sea cider juicers are being sold in grocery stores around BC, and so we've been able. It's not 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 necessarily uh, making lemons out of no lemonade out of lemons, but it's something like that, basically. <laughs> so that's been a really exciting project. I never thought about that. I was um, until very recently, I was managing the the Metro Liquor in Brentwood, and uh, your salesperson Jacqueline. Oh, every Monday on it with an email. And I was, I always very appreciative. And I, you know, I picked up those, uh, the non-alcoholic ciders 
right away. I was like, these are going to be fantastic. And, you know, people were really excited to see them. We, we sold, we have a pretty robust selection of craft non-alcoholics, which is a, a category that's really seemed to be getting a lot of attention, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it never occurred to me that, of, of course, you can sell in grocery stores. Of course, you, your market is now exploded because I, I, don't, I don't know, but I would imagine that the rules for getting apple juice across BC is a little bit different than getting liquor across BC. Yeah, it, so. it's true. And so we've we've always been sort of the business has been focused on wholesale distribution and how that all works, you know, in the province and beyond. And so when now we've got a product that we can sell to the grocery stores, that's meant a whole new very steep learning curve like how how does that distribution right. work we and we're approaching it really cautiously because and thank you for carrying our our juices um <laughs> at metro liquor we're we're um you know we're we're looking to expand production so we're investing in new equipment and uh so that we can meet demand but first and foremost we're still trying to keep up with demand for juice at liquor stores like who knew? But I think probably because we've all realized after a lot of people have been, let's say, enjoying happy hours more and more and more every day during the pandemic. You know how many hours are in a whole day? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of yeah, happy it's hours. 20, it's 24 of them. Yeah, not just happy hour. So this, 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 this offers an alternative. Yeah, I recently have put my baby toe into the whole world of <clears throat> converting into a retail product and dealing with grocery stores and stuff. I haven't haven't gotten involved yet, but just from afar looking at that, it is a completely different animal. And there is a lot of rules, and there is a lot of costs associated with it too that you're not you're not really aware of, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that that is a that is a big change. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's 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 sort of it required not a full on new business plan, but mm. you know, close maybe a, a deeper uh, yeah deeper understanding of you know the cost of distribution and and what's typical in the grocery world of groceries. Um, it involved higher insurance costs. You know, we really hadn't anticipated. So there were, de we've definitely been learning really quickly and we, we missed a lot of points in, during the planning, but we're learning during the rollout and it feels, uh, it feels sustainable. I think it's, um, it's where we need to be. So, you know, as a business, I think what one of the things that we've, you know, this this whole past year has taught us is just how important it is to be nimble, and you know, kind of, you got to hedge your bets a little bit. And not not every business has the ability to be so nimble. But you know, at, at Seasider, the fact that we've got a fairly extensive distribution and wholesales, like we're through. Western North America. So when literally like sales stopped to the U.S. for several months, you know, we had to find a way to to shift focus and find other outlets for yeah. cider. And, uh, you know, with the with events basically being canceled for the year, we had to find a different you know way to encourage people to come to the farm and not for weddings, not for big, you know, staff barbecues, but still wanting to encourage visitors to, to visit in a safe way. So yeah, the, the being 
ready to adapt has been, I guess, a key lesson over the last 12 months. I wonder, uh, as you know, as we kind of swing around the the winter season and we start to see crocuses and snow drops or whatever those little white flowers are that kind of give us that glimmer of hope. Well, us in Victoria anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, I just don't see that we're going to get any kind of break from, from the regulations anytime soon, but um, I'm, something tells me that the, the businesses and the local faves here on the island are going to do really well um, in the summertime. Cause I think, I think the communities and the people are probably feeling so ready and so grateful to have a place to go. Cause I mean, compared to other places, like we just, we're in such a privileged, lucky spot. Yeah. So I know for myself anyway, I, I feel so grateful to be able to, I mean, I'm your neighbor. So uh, Kristen, we live just over on East Saanich road. Um, so we're <laughs> super duper close. Um, so we, we, you know, we frequent the farm, but we also frequent a category 12 and our little spots, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you do it in small, in small bits and you don't go with a lot of people, but you, I, it just seems like you really appreciate what you have. Yeah. So, you know, you were talking about that local support and I, and I think that's, I mean, that's almost the dollar is worth the same in the bank, but it feels like it's an even more valuable dollar when you have your locals really propping you up and keeping you, you know, keeping you going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously, you know, we, we, we have to, you know, find a way to, you know, earn a living and make payroll and all of that. But, but there's something really to be said for how the local community is really rallied around local businesses and, and, you know, people going out of their way to make sure that they're ordering takeout from restaurants who'd never done takeout before. And, you know, they're, they're, sharing information on, on new local startups and yeah that's it's 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 really heartening to see and uh, you know on i have to i i'm a, one of many thankful business owners on the island i i agree with you we're we're very fortunate we're privileged to be where we are and you know i'm i'm happy for the the basically the moat that we have around Vancouver Island that sort of, you know, has kept us relatively safe um, as a whole from the coronavirus. It's just been so, so amazing to see how locals have rallied around the businesses that are here. And, and, you know, I think for many, they've discovered, like we had a couple drop by the other day and they're, they live in central Saanich and they'd never been to the farm before. And mm. they said, you know, it was what they wanted to do was they wanted to explore local businesses and it was the first time ever visiting. And so we're still seeing new people and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely making choices with their wallets and, and with their feet by coming out and supporting, you know, businesses like Seasider and, and category 12. And, you know, there's some amazing businesses on the, on the peninsula. You can really make a day of it and, and enjoy that whole, you know, experience of just getting out of Victoria for a day. Kind of switching gears a little bit. Do you find that the cider business is as friendly and cooperative as craft beer pretends to be? <laughs> You know, my... Or at least they used to be. It used to be all about like, hey, we're craft beer. We're all in this together. Let's take down 
like, let's take down Labatt's together. I imagine now it might be a different. Maybe now they're saying let's take down Phillips together. But it's a really it's, yeah. interesting question. So I would say that my 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 sense is that the craft cider industry is as collaborative, if not more collaborative, than the wine industry or the beer industry in general. And there's a vast overgeneralizations, but, you know, I can still call my friends at the Seattle cider company and ask them to help me, you know, troubleshoot our cross flow filter. Um, I can, you know, reach out to, you know, cider distributors in Manhattan and say, Hey, what's the, you know, the three tier markup, how is that working in New York state? And people will readily share information. Um, having said that, there's sort of an interesting dynamic that I've noticed over the past, whatever, 16, 18 years. And the, you know, I think, of course, craft cider is just sort of a drop in the craft beverage bucket right there's there's just obviously a, the craft beer industry is much bigger you know artisan boutique wine is is big too spirit so craft cider is has a very small niche in the world i'm not expecting it to take over the world anytime soon anyway but i think it's still getting noticed by other categories and other categories are seeing opportunities for expanding their product lines. And so we are seeing a lot of brewery owners getting into the craft cider business, certainly in the mm -hmm. U.S., um, maybe not so much so here in B.C., a little bit. We're seeing a bit of it, but you see a lot of that in the U.S. And, uh, and with that is coming that sort of the kind of cultural baggage of you know, the beer industry. And I, I think that's, there's good and bad with that. I think the good is that there's like this kind of cross pollination of ideas around products and marketing. Um, the bad is that I'm still, I still believer that cider deserves its own niche and we don't want it to be um, mistaken for beer, mistaken for wine, or heaven forbid, mistaken for alcopop. And <laughs> that's the danger, you know, that some that we're sort of co-opted and we kind of disappear as our own category. And I'm, I'm hoping that even with all these sort of new players coming into the category on a global scale, we that cider as a category can still retain its distinction as being about apples <laughs> and it's as simple as that now you can make cider with apples and other fruit you know we've got several ciders that you that incorporate blackberries or rhubarb and honey what have you but but cider is still fundamentally about apples and I think we've and we've done a lot as as an industry in BC, and I'm specifically talking about the BC farm crafted cider folks. We've done it a lot as an industry to kind of awaken people to 
what cider has always historically been. And because there's been a lot of confusion on the market about what what is cider? Is, is cider the same thing as Mike's Hard Lemonade? And you know, there's there's a place for Mike's Hard Lemonade, but it's not the same thing as cider. <laughs> and I'm having a heck of a time explaining to, to to folks in the, you know, BC government liquor stores the distinction. You know, the private liquor stores really understand it. And Andrew, you and your colleagues really understand it. But, you know, one of the things I'm really trying to do is get the word out and, may, you know, and lobby for some change so that cider's kind of respected for what it is you know it's an apple-based beverage and it's not it's not the same thing as mike's hard lemonade are you are you still kind of fighting some of the the stigmas stigmas of 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 how do i put this the two liter mountain berry there you go yeah yeah i was just gonna i was trying i was going for that and i was like i was trying to figure out a uh diplomatic way of putting tangerine peach yeah exactly are you are you still is that part of that conversation you're still fighting that stigma that cider still fits in that broad category you know i think thankfully i think we're winning that fight i think think, you are yeah i think that the majority of, you know, the, certainly all the private liquor stores in the province, um, c- many consumers understand the difference. Um, we still have a ways to go, I think, in terms of, of you know, government policymakers understanding the difference and why there's a difference and, and, and therefore how it should be treated, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of taxation and shelf space on in BCL stores. But I think we're where people are coming to understand that. And it's in no small part, thanks to, you know, the, some of the work being done mostly in the U S actually by um, Alan Shapiro and the folks behind the big cider con, uh, cider con uh, and cider summits. So cider summits are these big, pre-pandemic festivals where thousands of people would come to try cider, you know, so, and, and they, they run in Seattle and San Francisco and Denver and Chicago, and they're a lot of fun. And it's a real opportunity for consumers to just learn about the product. So, so, you know, we, since our inception, we've noticed that, the level of consumer education about craft cider has really increased. And so we're no, it's, it's rare now to find somebody who comes in asking for the two liter bottle of tangy tangerine. Tangerine berry. I think it was. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, um, Does that, does that segue into the, the cider Institute of North America? Does that have anything to do with that? Yeah. So that's another Another really important organization that is the, whose mandate is to raise the level of the training and create a certification program for cider makers. So there, uh, I've been involved with that organization since its inception, and they've put on cider making classes throughout North America now. Of course, most of those are online, some combination of online and and in place learning. But that 
you know, I think it's that plus some of the work that the American Cider Association has done with, you know, definitions of cider. Um, there's, I think, British Columbia is still a little ways behind when it comes to some of those um, like policies and regulations that that aren't quite universalized with the rest of North America or, or broader than that. But yeah, the Cider Institute of North America. So for anybody out there that's interested in becoming a cider maker, they're, they're a great um, organization to connect with because they they run uh, a number of different cider making classes that held different parts of the country in Canada and the U S and you know, one thing that we found when we were first starting out was that when we were looking to hire cider makers, none existed. Like we couldn't find anybody (laughs) when we had to train people from other industries to become cider makers And now, thanks to what Sina has been doing with their education program, there are now trained, certified cider makers available. Um, As it happens, our cider maker came from the wine industry, uh, Luthia, and she's been with us for about six years. And Hmm. we've really benefited from her training and her approach, you know, because she, she understands well, both white wine production and red wine production, but I think there's a lot that we borrow from that industry when we're making our cider. So, yeah, but to go back to, you know, Sina, that I think has been, it's a really a sign, I think, of the maturity of the industry that we're getting to the point where there are certification programs to make sure that we're training the next generation of cider makers properly. Gotcha. Hey, everybody. If you are loving this, please, right now, go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash in the weeds podcast. And please consider becoming a monthly supporter. A little bit goes a very long way. Back to the program. I find that it's easy for people to put beer and cider in the same category just because it generally they generally exist together on menus and they're both cold and fizzy most of the time. Um, I understand that, you know, uh, craft cider is a lot more closely related to winemaking um, than it is to beer making. Uh, but so in that vein, is, uh, is terroir um, an element, something to consider in cider making? Will your, you know, your variety of apples where you're situated uh, on the bench there taste different than something on the other side of the peninsula or is that not as much of an issue with apples? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. You know, the issue of terroir and, and, and a, a sense of place, a taste of yeah. place. Um, right. Yeah, I would say absolutely that that has an effect, you know, and that that's an important consideration in, in the world of cider. So and for for folks that don't know, I mean, the, the key distinction between cider making and, and brewing is that s- cider is fermented. Um, you know, there's the, the it's the, the processes are similar to wine in terms of of juicing and fermentation with yeast right away. You're not going through as a malting process. But, um, you know, I'd say with at sea cider, 
Um, you know, obviously our orchard on the Saanich Peninsula is, you know, one really important source of apples for us. Um, and then another really important source of apples for us is the apples from Greater Victoria. So every year we purchase apples from about 150 people in the region who, and some of them only have just one big old apple tree and they've got a hundred pounds of apples and others have thousands of pounds of apples. But are these individual like private, yeah. private people with apple trees on their property? Yeah. Huh, that's incredible. Oh, that's, that's wild. That's incredible. And so with, with terroir, you know, we see it in a few ways. So we've got a couple of estate ciders, um, Bittersweet, for example, is one of our estate ciders. And I, I think the influence of the our microclimate, the fact that, you know, we're 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 close to the sea, there is this sort of moderating effect of the ocean. The fact that we get, as you know, a rainy, really kind of a lot of rain most of the year, but then it can get really dry in the summer, and so we get a lot of 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 heat and a, an opportunity for the sugars in the apple or the starches in the apple to convert to sugar so we can you know the, and that that influence is very different than you know the growing conditions and the microclimates in the interior for example so you would definitely be able to tell the difference between what we're doing at seaside versus you know even even compared to what a cider we might be doing up island but I should also add to that that you know we've taken a fairly low intervention approach to cider making, and so by that I mean, for example, we filter most of our ciders, but they're just coarsely filtered, so there's still a lot of flavor that's still in the cider, and we're really careful with the use of any any sulfites because that they kill wild yeast. And I know a lot of even cider makers, winemakers, everybody can is afraid of these Britannomyces and other wild yeasts. But I think even the wild yeast coming from a certain farm gives a unique character to the cider. And, you know, I'm not saying that one should be putting out you know, super funky cider that's really unpalatable, far from it. You know, I think you have to be really, really careful and you've got to have a very skilled cider team to be able to manage wild yeast and produce an outstanding product. But that I think as well is when we talk about terroir, it's it's not just about say where the apples are grown, but it's also about the you know, the microorganisms like the yeast and where they're coming from. And I think it's just, it's just one of those marvels of nature that, you know, to make cider really in the most traditional sense, all you have to do is juice the apples and wait for mother nature to do her thing. You know, you're going to get fermentation to happen spontaneously. And, you know, it's, it's like alchemy. And that fermentation, that process is going to taste different if I do it on my farm versus if we were going to go up island and do it or we're going to go to the interior and do it. So we talk yeah. about terroir. I think absolutely it factors into to the quality of the product, the, ex, the experience. So, yeah, it's it's an in, it's 
it, it's an interesting discussion in the cider community because, you know, not, and I think in BC in particular, we've really um, raised the bar. Um, in North America, what, what you see still is like the vast majority of, of ciders probably still being produced by using juice, but the origin is sort of unclear. And in BC, there is a real sense of place in the cider that we make. So there's certainly a lot of um, great cider being made in the U.S. And I just find it the most interesting cider is the cider which has some kind of connection to the land. Yeah, of course. Is it is it safe to say then that the terroir is more about the climate and kind of the yeast colonies versus then the soil for cider? Or does soil play a big part in it too? Yeah, I think soil plays a role too because like, for example, our farm sort of sits on some interesting soil. So we've by we've got a glacial till underneath the topsoil. And that, oh, I love glacial till. Us wine guys love it. Yeah, so well-drained. <laughs> well-drained, um, but nutrient-poor. And so you, you've got to manage that carefully or you've got a tree that gets too stressed out. And while you can get really intensely flavored fruit, um, if you're not careful, you can also kind of get a tree that just doesn't have enough nutrients to, 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 to thrive. So, yeah, so I'd, I'd say, you know, here, like on the peninsula, the growing conditions are fairly similar to the growing conditions of northern France and Herefordshire, you know, in the sense that we don't have those extremes of temperatures, you know, we don't have the plus 30 days, we don't have the minus 30 days. And that, you know, it's, it's, it's no wonder that those of us making cider on the island can make some of the best cider in the world. Cider that's, you know, every bit as, as, as fantastic as the cider made in Northern France or Herefordshire, because we do have a, you know, we, we do have similar conditions. Having said that, you know, our, the, the glacial till is unique. The, the drought conditions in the summer are unique. And so, yeah, I, I would, I would say that, the soil conditions are definitely a big factor in terroir. In the in the topic of northern France, is it like how do they get those funky, cheesy, low alcohol ciders? Is that like that's a really signature style? I mean, Spain kind of has uh, the bass. Am I am I right? Yeah. The bass ciders kind of play in that sandbox too. But I don't find that there's anything uh, or anything that I've experienced kind of provincially that's in that same camp of funky and cheese almost like a cheesiness to it it's yeah, yeah it's a really unique process that over centuries has been kind of a, has evolved um it actually has a lot to do with climate there if you can believe it and just the um high pressure systems that they have you know in the fall when they're making cider but basically to achieve those that low alcohol cider with all that sort of funky character um, they, they're utilizing what's for lack of a better word, a defecation process. And what happens is the, during fermentation, um, they're starting with fairly, um, 
nutrient deprived juice and the ye- and and those nutrients are are um are separating out from the juice and the yeast essentially starves and it dies because it doesn't have enough nutrient to continue the fermentation and mm. so the huh. yeast stops at around 3 or 4% alcohol um so it's a lack of nutrients that causes the the fermentation to stop in northern france and you're getting the funk from those ciders because there's a there's a huge wild yeast influence in that process so yeah. no whereas in spain um what's really unique about you know spanish cider in general though there's sort of regional differences but it's that they really uh emphasize the acetic nature of the cider Mm. And the that acetic nature or high volatile acidity is also really climate driven in the sense that, of course, you've got much more, much hotter days, much longer, um, you know, high growing season. Cider makers are contending with really, really hot conditions and when you have really hot conditions over a sustained time, you're inevitably going to have an issue with Acetobacter. And so that's just... I don't a, know what that means. Yeah. So then, so Acetobacter are the organisms that are acetifying your side or turning it into vinegar. Okay. And... So you can see the role that climate plays in that and why that has historically happened in Spain to the point where it's embraced as a style. And that's what Spanish cider is known for. And it, the acetic styles of Spanish cider is best drunk really young. And so one of the unfortunate things in when we're trying Spanish cider here is often it's been sitting in a warehouse somewhere for months and it's lost that freshness but really fresh spanish cedra is a real pleasure um because that acetic acid is giving it really this vibrancy um so yeah it just and 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 it's basically comes down to climate it's just stinking hot down there so that's why they've got acetic acetic cider crazy so cool yeah i have I, I, I still have two questions that I want to answer. So oh, yeah, I just want absolutely. to let you know, Franz, in, in case you're dying to jump in, no. you're going to you're no, no, queue, no. queue up, buddy. No, 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 no. No, I, this is this is this <laughs> is the stuff that I have such little knowledge about, but I know, AJ, that you live in that world of wine and there's a there's a there's a, a, a relation to this, and I'm just fascinated. I'm just sitting here quietly listening because it's amazing. I'm, I'm loving it. We do this, we do this podcast for us. We find guests yeah. that we want to learn more about. So <laughs> very true. we don't even have any listeners. No, we no. lied about all of yeah, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So um the next question I want to ask is outside of outside of of what you produce, Kristen, what is your What's your favorite? What is your like? Maybe a style or a brand or what's your favorite? What's your favorite cider of well, not sea cider? Or if I may interject, I'm also curious if there is a fruit or an apple or a, a varietal that you prefer. Ooh, good one. I have to use the facilities, so I'm going to listen to this afterwards. I'm sorry, it just happened. I'm a child. Okay, so in terms of a favorite cider, so. You know, I 
I could say really any of the farm crafted cideries in BC, I have so much respect for. I think, you know, there's the cideries in BC are doing some interesting things and the quality is world class. And so in order not to get on anybody's bad side in particular, <laughs> I think I'll just jump to the U.S. and say, um, you know, one of the one of the cideries that I ad- admire a lot um, for the quality of their of their cider, but also their, you know, kind of integrity when it comes to the process is um, Eve Cidery in upstate New York is owned by a, a woman named Autumn and they're another orchard based cidery. Um, they've, they've really um, focused in on, you know, the more sort of traditional um, methods of cider making and, you know, they're, they're being served in, you know, some of the top restaurants in New York city. Um, so they're, they're, their their products could stand you know with pride on any table anywhere and you know i i respect the fact that they run a um an internship program so they've they're 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 training up and coming orchardists and training up and coming cider makers and yeah so they're 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 one of of many businesses in the cider world that I respect. Gotcha. And, and, and fruit. Does that, uh, is there my favorite apple? You know, the funny thing is I don't really like eating apples that much. I like oh. drinking them, but if I was like, in terms of making cider, what are the apples that I like to work with the best? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess it always comes back to the English bittersweets. So we grow, dozens of different varieties of English bittersweets. So in the cider world, there's like, we group our apples into four camps, bittersweets, bitter sharps, sweets, and sharps. And sweets are like your everyday apple. They're really sugary and they're low acid. But the most interesting ones are the bittersweets that have still have some sweetness, but they're, um, but they're really characterized by a lot of bitterness. Like that sort of real astringent sensation when you bite into one. And as a cider maker, they're, they're just so good to work with. They, they juice really well because they're very low in pectin. So you're not dealing with like hazy cider issues. Um, they're typically perfect pH 3.5. Like that's a cider maker's dream because at, at a pH of 3.5, your fermentation is going to go go really well if if other other varietals of apples other categories of apples can be way too acidic or not nearly acidic enough but the bittersweets are always really great when it comes to acidity and of course that you know that results in the final cider of something that's got real character because it's got enough backbone with the with the acidity and a little bit you know phenolic interest with the um with the bitterness to create, you know, a cider that doesn't need anything else. And it's also a cider that you can ferment with wild yeast and, you know, not a problem. Like they were sort of, it was, it was meant to be done that way. So I'd say bittersweets are my favorite. 
Perfect. That was actually uh, just the answer I was looking for. I, d- I did a little tiny poking around the internet before, and I, I had questions exactly, and you answered them all. So that was perfect. You thought I was going to say golden delicious. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> or what was it again? <laughs> uh, uh, Mandarin berry? Mountain berry. I'm sorry. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> awesome. Okay. I promise I won't run away this time. Um, how did you arrive, and this must have been an early decision, at your, at your packaging decision? Um, there have, you know, I've noticed people have made changes. People have, you know, are choosing, you know, some places decide to go for a more single serving. Um, some places do, are doing six packs. You, uh, Seasider has always been, at, at least as far as I have been able to tell, in that 750 mil pop top. So what was the rationale um, and kind of how did you arrive at that decision? Yeah, so that was through, you know, lots of conversations and thinking through options. But and even er, in the early days when we were doing our research, um, my uncle, who's a retired rancher, but he's, he, he does wood turning in his spare time, he, he made some prototypes of bottles for me. And I said I wanted to take some bottle prototypes around to other cideries and, and, and to people that, you know, have an interest in, in cider and say, what kind of bottles do you like? And we actually, before the bottles that we've been using now for years, we were, we were in 500 mil bottles, but we switched out of those. Um, essentially, you know, we're in the flip top for a couple of reasons. Um, the first is that, you know, I personally, I, I can't finish a whole bottle of cider myself at one sitting. And, and it just made sense to me to have, you know, if I'm not sharing that bottle with somebody to have a way to close it and still, you know, have the carbonation there, so, you know, keep it bubbly. So it was just kind of a practical thing that, that seemed to make sense to me. Um, you know, and I, but I also think, you know, more in terms of the 750s, that to me, there's something, I'm sort of old fashioned, and there's something to me that's kind of romantic about, about those bottles and about, um, about the way you open them and the way they sound when they're opened and about sharing a bottle together. I think that it's about the sharing and it that kind of gets back to the whole vision of what we wanted to do with sea cider. It was about, you know, making cider that was, you know, best when shared with friends and building a cider house that was meant for friends to gather at. So I think the 750 really represents that. It's a bottle that you want to share with somebody. Nice. Wow, that was the, great. Uh, painted a beautiful picture. I, I I also suffer from being a romantic in many ways too, and I can totally see that as being, yeah, that lovely. Yeah, awesome. Um, for myself, I I don't I don't don't know about you, gentlemen, but I thought that was an amazing little ending note. But Remy, do you have something? I've got some, I've got some questions. Okay, I'm sorry, never mind. I was uh, no, I, 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 I wasn't trying to rush like, this out. End off the episodes with. It's almost. I think we should do this uh, from now on. <laughs> is like towards the end of the episode, then it's like. It's you know Remy's questions now, like the final ending, the closing uh, letter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I just have a quick question because um, um, 
I guess I'm just wondering if you might be able to tell us a little bit more about the uh, your sticky series of uh, of ciders and 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 aside from the fact that um, you know it's like at least double the alcohol percentage. What's what's the main difference between uh, the the two? Yeah, so good question. Like um, our stickies, we don't sell um, that much uh, of other than through the cider house and where you know the the sticky series c- came about um because we were you know wanting to keep exploring different ways of making cider and so the first in the series is a cider called pomo and you know AJ you'd be familiar with the pomo from northern france um in our case uh, you know, we're loosely following the French guidelines, um, in the sense that, um, you know, we're, we are using, uh, apples of Normandy provenance, a varietal called Femmeuse. And the, uh, the cider is first being distilled and then cut back with juice and then aged in oak. And I want to sort of talk about the Pomo for a bit because that's one of the ciders with the most interesting kind of process. It actually goes through this double oak aging process huh. where first um, and where we depart from the rules of northern France and how, how they make their Pomo because we actually use both Hungarian oak and French oak to in the aging of the of Pomo. So it starts with Hungarian oak. And just because personally, I find Hungarian oak just really interesting, like there's the real strong um, hints of spice and vanilla. Um, but then it's nice to finish it in uh, French oak barrel, uh, more because that the aging process itself kind of provides that micro oxygenation to kind of mellow it out so that our pomo is a take on the traditional normandy style of pomo also in the sticky series we've done our take on an ice style cider so we produce a single varietal cider called uh, pomona and that's made uh by freezing the juice of late harvest crab apples and then starting to thaw it out removing the ice and then fermenting what you have left which is this really um concentrated viscous juice that's super acidic hmm. and we use a late harvest sauterne yeast to ferment it and it takes a long time uh and but the result is this just it's a real pleasure because it's got this really lovely sort of syrupy mouthfeel and it's a real kind of um acid bomb though too it's intensely acidic and sweet at the same time but that's just coming from the fact that we're using a single varietal crab apple in it hmm. so that that's another one we've we we we've we've got it couple more recent ones black apple jack that's that's um one that basically we had to make because we've got blackberries as you probably know um 
blackberry ports and um, blackberry beverages are really popular on the island. And so, you know, we, we, we were just sort of having fun with the name of Black Applejack because once upon a time, you could, it was a, a, a an illegal process but basically jacking the the cider was like freezing it and 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 uh and trying to um increase the alcohol through by freezing and it's not recommended because you you don't you don't get necessarily get a a a, a product that's um healthy or safe to drink so we do we do we do it in a modern way with distillation but Crazy. Um, that's another one in the sticky series and really we wanted to that and with our raspberry and wanted to introduce some other fruit that's grown on the island and why not use it so you know we're still all about the apple and everything that we do is 99 percent apple or or if not more but it's fun to play around with other fruit that we grow on the farm or that you can find on the island <laughs> that's awesome cool um, and I guess my last question, um, also kind of curious about what may be happening in 2020, but with the, uh, the BC cider week, um, you know, what, how was that affected, uh, very much, um, last year and, uh, and what's, what's on the horizon for this year? Yeah. So t- 2021, I think it's going to look again, a bit modified. Um, so in 2020, we were able to run, you know, a virtual cider week. And there were um, a number of cideries did participate and they did have, you know, sort of modest events happening on site. Um, we we were working with a number of partners like Metro Liquor and others to just try and raise the profile of cider during that week. I don't think we're, unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be able to host our annual cider social, but we'll see. So stay tuned. You know, we'll have information on our website. Um, we'd love to do it because it's sort of our chance to, uh, you know, get, you know, raise a glass with a lot of people all at once who all love cider. I know Vanessa did uh, a couple of years ago, she did a cider cycle, like a cider cycle island pub crawl. Um, and she, I don't know who, she hit a number. I don't know if she, I don't know if she made it to sea cider, but she, um, she was up on the, she was on Salt Spring and she did, you know, a couple over there and finished up at uh, Cobble Hill, up at Marydale. And, uh, you know, I think it took them a couple of days and they camped and it was this, like, you know, it was her and a bunch of, uh, a bunch of her girlfriends and kind of in the industry. And it just looked like they had a raucous time. Yeah, it looked like um, a lot of fun, didn't it? It totally did, looked like a lot yeah. of fun. Did they have, did they do a video? Yeah, I think yeah. that I think that they came by. They didn't stay yeah, with would, us, but I, I would imagine they stayed at Todd Creek. Maybe they stayed at Todd Creek. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a great idea! Like it looked like a lot of fun. Is there anything like that? I mean, you've got the BC Ale Trail. Um, obviously, there's more. You know, there's more craft breweries kicking around than cideries. But is there kind of has has tours in BC? Kind of uh, they, is there anything like that where they're helping out? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the BC Farm Crafted Cider Association has mm. a website called the Cider Way, and there's okay. lots of good information about, you know, the different cideries in BC. And also the Northwest Cider Association has this great interactive tool on their website. And since 
a number of BC cideries are members of Northwest Cider. You can plot your itinerary and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting interactive tool. But yeah, you know, now I think that there's this sort of critical number of cideries that one can visit, you know, even just on the island or if you wanted to kind of incorporate Pender Island and Salt Spring Island, there's some great places on those islands too. But yeah, and hey, we've got the parking for the bikes. So so bring <laughs> yeah. the bike and uh, yeah, and, and absolutely, we'd love to see more cyclists coming out to the farm. I just wanted to say I've I've honestly learned so much by talking to you today. Um, I, I, there's been so much information that is just, I, I can tell is bursting from the seams for you. So I got probably a little tiny touch of it, but I, I learned a bunch of things I didn't know about Sider today. So, so thank you. You too. Thank yeah, you very thank much. you very much, Kristen. Um, thank you. And thank you, you. No, thank you very much. I just thank you for taking an interest in cider and 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 uh, you know I I'll I'll, I'll 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 talk your ears off about cider any day. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I very much appreciate you taking an interest and uh, supporting the whole the whole industry. Well, at the very end of the show, Andrew's right, that little tiny uh, end send-off that we do, and you, you kind of touched on a number of things already, but if there's anything you'd like to promo for yourself or the, the business in general right now, please take a moment to uh, to talk about any upcoming events or anything that you're trying to get off the ground. Yeah, well, I was just um, talking to the team today about February and what's in store, and February is all about local love. So we're just encouraging everybody with, you know, to get out there and support your local businesses, hashtag local love. And if you check out any of Seasider's social media, you know, we've got contest, a contest running, but I'd say let's, let's, let's support one another and think about each other this month. Beautiful. Well said. That's nice. incredible. That's message. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Kristen. This was a lot of fun. Thank thanks you so, so much, much for your time, Kristen. Yeah, thanks okay, so much. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thanks for joining us this week. It's so fun for us to share these stories with you. Thanks again to Riot Brewing for keeping us hydrated. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at in underscore the underscore weeds podcast. Hey.